Hello and welcome to the Talk Neuro to Me podcast. In this episode, we meet with Dr. Marvin Berman to discuss photobiomodulation and neurofeedback. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Talk Neuro to Me podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Marvin Berman, which is president of the Quiet Mind Foundation, which is a nonprofit research and consulting group and clinical practice group in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. Quiet Mind was founded in the year 2000 to promote the integration of non-invasive, non-drug treatment alternatives into public health care and education. It was originally involved in getting neurofeedback training recognized as an outpatient and residential treatment approach for children with ADHD and learning disorders. More recently, the focus has shifted to the use of transcranial near-infrared photobiomodulation and EEG biofeedback as a potent treatment model for neurodegenerative, neuropsychiatric, and neurodevelopmental disorders. Dr. Berman, how are you doing today? Great, Dr. Garcia. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So listen, I, I love having guests on the show that are going to teach me lots of amazing stuff. And you are an expert on photobiomodulation and neurofeedback, two very, very interesting topics. So let's start off with the basics, can we? Sure thing. Yeah. So if somebody's listening to the show and they're going, hold on, photobiomodulation, Way too many syllables. What right. is that? What is it? What are we dealing with? Well, initially, the the term that was used back in the 60s and onward was low-level laser therapy. And over the years, that's gone out of fashion. And now what we're talking about is the use of different frequencies of light to influence biological activity. And so... This whole approach is basic, based in the field of photonics, and it's a subspecialty in photonics that uses light of different frequencies to affect therapeutic applications of various kinds. And it's being used in a whole range of disciplines, uh, including medicine and dentistry and surgery. And now we're doing it with... Uh, treating neurodegeneration and other kinds of behavioral and cognitive disorders. Right. I remember that. Was it was it LLLT back in the days, right? Or, so, or was it just yes. LLT? No, it was LLLT. And so, you know, some people got their tongues caught up in that. But the other thing is that now we're using LED technology, whereas back in the 60s when... Andre Messner and the people who were first involved in this whole field, they were using coherent laser light. Right. And now, so now we're finding so to be, I guess photobiomodulation is more inclusive of the different types of light, not just laser that is being used therapeutically. Is that correct? And, and that's that. That was the purpose of expanding the term to photobiomodulation. Got it. So, well, let's go to the other side of that. What's mm -hmm. neurofeedback? Well, neurofeedback is simply a particular form of what most people understand as biofeedback. So if you're uh, using any kind of measurement device like a thermometer and you're measuring skin temperature, for example, and you then measure someone's 
skin temperature over time and you teach them to focus their attention on, say, warming their fingers or their toes, what you'll see is that over time people develop an ability to increase their skin temperature at various parts of their body and that would be termed thermal biofeedback. So in this case, we're talking about monitoring the brain's electrical activity so they basically call it neurofeedback, but it's simply using basic operant conditioning to, or behavioral conditioning or reward conditioning, whatever, you, whatever term you like, to help someone develop instrumental control over a physiological function. Got it. So let's bring this back to you. So how did you get involved with the idea of photobiomodulation for improving brain functions in patients? Well, it started out with neurofeedback um, and then led into the photobiomodulation. I was a practicing psychologist and psychotherapist for many years. And what happened was that I was working with a patient and one day he said, you know, I'm feeling really good and things are going well, but sometimes things don't click. And he took his index fingers and pointed them at his temples. And I said, what, what's that in English? What do you mean? He said, well, you know, sometimes I have to read things a couple of times because I can't remember what I read. And sometimes the letters move around on the page. And I, was, and I offhandedly said, what, you got hit in the head? And the guy looked at me and said, oh, you mean like a car accident? No, I never had a car accident. And I said, wait a minute, that's not what I asked you. Did you ever get hit in the head? And that's when I started to go, uh-oh. And then he proceeded to tell me, oh, I fell down the basement steps when I was three and Johnny hit me with a baseball bat. And I went, oh, wait a minute, you're not neurotic, you're brain injured. Mm. Now, now what do I do? And that became a, a, a moment of shift for me clinically and professionally where I was like, wait, how many people in my practice are actually in this similar situation and I didn't know? So that's when I went back and found out that 70% of my practice at the time had a history of mild traumatic head injury sometime in their life. And I went, oh, well, this now means that I have to retool and understand how this is affecting people's behavior and perception. And that led me to biofeedback. While we were doing the biofeedback training, I started to see that people were having very profound responses, positive responses, in a very short amount of time. And then these same people that I was referring to came back to me not very long afterwards and said, you know, I just went to my allergist and they took me off the offalin because they said I don't have asthma anymore. I'm like, what? How does that work? And then it happened with another person who I had done this same kind of biofeedback with. And that led me to realize that something much more profound was going on with the biofeedback. And so I then explored neurofeedback. And while doing the neurofeedback and a research project that was focusing on dementia, we then learned about photobiomodulation and the research that was being done at Durham University in the UK with rats who were bred to develop Alzheimer's type amyloid plaques and how they showed that exposing the rats to this particular type of stimulation 
significantly improved their memory functions and mo- and modified their brain physiology in a significant way so that I then started to realize that the light therapy was delivering the kind of therapeutic action that would resolve the problem of neurodegeneration at a tissue level while the biofeedback, the neurofeedback, was actually working to correct the neural connectivity problems that were created by the neurodegeneration. So that's kind of how all the pieces came together. And that was back in 2009. And so for the last 10 years, we've been working on integrating the neurofeedback and the photobiomodulation as kind of a two-pronged approach to treating these kind of conditions. You know, you you just said two-pronged up. Uh, two-prong approach and i was thinking like a really good one-two punch exactly that's what it sounds like to me you know that's pretty neat um let's keep talking about those two because they're very interesting to me let's talk mechanisms of action for uh pbm photobiomodulation all right yeah how's it how's it doing what it's doing Well, I'm going to have to get a little bit technical here because what the current theory is about mechanism of action is that it's kind of complex, but focusing right on the mitochondria, the one of the proteins inside the mitochondria is uh, called cytochrome C oxidase. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's, it's a primary, what they call chromophore, which means it responds to different frequencies of light. And it serves as what's called a primary photoacceptor in the red to near-infrared region. And so when you shine that frequency range of light on the cytochrome C oxidase, it causes what they call photodissociation of nitric oxide. And that's, that nitric oxide is being dissociated from the center of the cytochrome C oxidase molecule. And when that happens, that's what causes an increase in the production of adenosine triphosphate or ATP. And that's the basic chemical for all biological activity in the body. So what they found, and this was uh, a Dr. Nina Carew back in the 70s, she saw that there was this increased ATP production as a result of exposing these mitochondria to infrared light. So what this then led to was promoting the idea of something called retrograde mitochondrial signaling. And that explains how uh, a single relatively brief exposure to light can have these long lasting biological effects by improving ATP production, but also it stimulates neurotrophic factors and also some anti-apoptotic and pro-apoptotic mediators, um, specifically the what's referred to as heat shock proteins. So all of that goes into understanding the mechanism of action, but really what we're doing is increasing ATP as well as some of the signaling molecules that will also help to promote cell longevity. And what's also been shown now is that this can also be used to provide protection of the cell against further damage. And there's been research done on that, again, at Durham University uh, with Professor Paul Chizot and his team at Durham. All right. So if, I guess if I was going to say it's simpler. It seems like photobiomodulation is putting 
giving an opportunity for more energy at the cellular level, but also like it's like energy plus, right? A little protection. Energy plus. Yep. And, and some other mechanisms as well. Um, interesting. Yeah. So we're talking specifically about photobiomodulation for the brain, which. Yes. It could be for any part of the body where there's, where there's mitochondria. And even right. now they're showing that it can influence um, mitochondrial DNA in the blood. So one of the things that we found attractive about one of the products that we use, which I guess we'll talk about, the V-Lite, is that it uses a, uh, a nasal light delivery system, an intranasal. Yeah, no, I was looking that up. I was going to ask you uh, about that because I saw this whole probe and stuff like that. So l yeah. let me detour you a small detour because yep. we're going to talk. I want to talk about that thing because it looks like some sort of contraption from the future. It well, is. Because I want to talk about the, you're like, it is. I went in the future and brought it back. But so what does this technology look like to deliver light to the brain? Because to me, uh, you know, I'm a chiropractor in training. So everything started off, uh, well, I mean, I started very neurology based. I went to school or became very mm -hmm. physical. So laser and, and light therapies was like, I'm putting a light or a laser on a joint. I'm trying to heal something physical like I see it. When right. we talk about the brain, it becomes abstract because I'm not looking at people's brains. Typically, you know, the people that we train are, are looking at physical things to try to understand what's going on in a patient's brain. But if I wanted to do photobiomodulation on a patient's brain, what's the technology look like to deliver that? Because the, the well, first question I want to uh, ask is, how do you even get light to the brain? How do you penetrate the skull? Can that happen? Like, those yeah. are the questions I have to know more about. Well, certainly the increasing frequency of the light means that it can penetrate uh, solid objects. I mean, if you take a flashlight and, you know, point it at your finger, you know, you can see the light coming through the other side. So you know that light penetrates into the skin and into the body. Um, we've been doing that on Halloween forever. But um, the idea is that these higher frequencies of light in the near-infrared range can penetrate through the scalp, through the skull, through the dura, and down into the cortex. And what we're seeing is that research done at the University of Bristol and other places shows that you can get about 10% of the light actually makes it to the cortex and down between one to five centimeters, depending on the power used and the number of LEDs used. So what we're using with the UK device that we're studying now is we're using about 1,100 LEDs, and they're all over the all over the skull, as well as arrays that are directly in front of the eyes, and also down uh, into the foramenal notch. So you're you're getting a considerable amount of stimulation directed into the into the skull, and one of the principles in physics, which is called constructive interference means that when, when waves, waves of photons land on top of each other, they tend to increase the power or the penetration of those waves. So when you've got 1,100 LEDs putting those waves into the brain, you're going to get more penetration. The other thing is that we pulse the light on and off at 10 hertz or 10 times per second, and that also goes to increasing the penetration depth. So that's how it works. Okay, so that we know we could reach it through the skull. Um, and then mm -hmm. I saw, what's the device? V-Light? So this is yeah. one of the, te the, the technologies that allows us to do this. Then you see this probe. 
that look it literally is like sticking just up the nose a little bit clips on what's right. the deal with that can you explain that to me well the inside the tissue inside our nose is more collagenous than the skin you know on our hands mm-hmm. so the the structure of that of that cell and that tissue means that it's more tubular and therefore the light can penetrate through the skin and move directly into the blood and, and, and have interact with the blood and the capillaries and the blood vessels in the face. And what we know is that our entire body's blood supply passes through our face every four minutes. So with using the V-Light for the standard 20 minutes that they recommend, you're going to, you're going to innervate your entire, you're going to irradiate your entire body's blood supply five times. And what they're showing now in recent studies is that mitochondrial DNA is in the bloodstream and does respond to the light, the photobiomodulation. And so blood that's making it into the brain through the blood-brain barrier is going to then have more of that ATP potential and stimulating potential. And one of the other things that we're seeing is that the light can actually stimulate an increase in the flexibility of the interstitial endothelial tissue in the blood vessels themselves. So you're making the blood vessels in the capillaries and the microcapillaries more flexible, which is gonna mean that there's a greater chance of getting blood through those microcapillaries, which is gonna then oxygenate the tissue even better and help promote, again, that idea of improved ATP, improved cell health, improved tissue health, and again, that protection against further damage. Hmm. Okay. And let's bring this back to neurofeedback because now I'm wrapping my brain around, you know, PBM right. for the brain. It's possible. I dig it. Pretty neat. Okay. What's it look like when we start combining photobiomodulation and neurofeedback together therapeutically? Okay. So let's use the dementia diagnosis as a way to frame this. Sure. So w- there is a significant literature in neurology that's showing that as people progress in dementia, the EEG responds very consistently in terms of showing a predictable increase in slow wave amplitude and a predictable decrease in fast wave amplitude. So the slower brainwave activity is increasing, which means that you're getting more of the activity of what someone would normally be producing when they're asleep or about to fall asleep, and you're seeing a concurrent decrease in the amplitude or activity of someone when they're actually focused and aware and awake and engaged with the environment. So that's what's happening neurophysiologically and neuroelectrically while someone is progressing in dementia. Mm-hmm. What we what we did was then look at a, the research on seizure disorders in the behavioral medicine literature, the biofeedback literature, and we saw that a similar pattern of activity was happening in people with seizures where their uh, 12 to 15 hertz activity, electrical activity, at the vertex on the skull was significantly decreasing and that there was a a concurrent decrease in faster electrical activity amplitudes wherever the seizure focus was. So what researchers in California started to do at UCLA, at Dr. Barry Sturman, they started working with 
doing operant conditioning of people with seizure disorders to have them practice increasing the 12 to 15 hertz amplitude. And over time, they saw a very consistent decrease in seizure activity to where there's now about a 30 or 40 year literature showing that you know, seizure disorders can be treated very effectively by using brainwave biofeedback training. Well, that's not something that's known to a lot of neurologists. So we started to look at that and say, okay, now wait, what if we were to do that same kind of training, except we were to do it with people with early to mid-stage dementia and help them to operantly condition a decrease in the slow wave amplitudes and increase the fast wave amplitudes and what we found was, in fact, that people's memory scores on a range of neuropsych measures did, in fact, improve for those people who were able to rework the way their brain activity was going so that they could decrease the slow wave amplitudes and increase the fast. So we saw that by working together with this neurofeedback protocol, we could affect an improvement in people's cognitive functioning, but that's not really changing the course of the neurodegenerative disease that's underlying the loss in cognitive function. So that's when, when I saw what the photobiomodulation was doing and that it was directly interrupting and improving the tissue level pathology, that's when it became clear that if you use those two together, you would be able to get a more robust recovery process. Now, when you say together, do you mean simultaneously or just as a treatment protocol? Well, at this point, I mean, now we're, you know, that, that raises the issue of, you know, where are we with the technology? And mm -hmm. the technology has not come far enough yet where we can use them simultaneously. But that is our goal. And we're pretty close to having that worked out and should have something workable within the next year or so. But that's, at the moment, that's exciting. Yeah, at the moment we have a uh, an electrode cap that is open. It has no it, it just has rubber uh, tubing and electrodes that are arranged at the proper locations so that we can put the uh, photobiomodulation, the LEDs all around where the electrodes for measuring the EEG are. So we can actually measure changes in EEG amplitude and coherence and other aspects of brain electrical activity while we're doing the stimulation. Now, in the clinic, we usually do five or six minutes of transcranial and intraocular stimulation, and then we put on the cap and do the neurofeedback. So it's almost simultaneous, but not really. And we... Uh, have people doing the neurofeedback at home as well as in the clinic. So they're getting regular training in the same way that you would go to the gym more frequently in order to get a better rate of improvement. The photobiomodulation you can do less frequently and get better improvement. So there is a dose response curve to the photobiomodulation and there is a training response to the, to the neurofeedback that makes it so you can come up with a, an optimal protocol for people based on their time and their energy and their resources and what's going on in their life. So I totally get the <clears throat> the higher, um, I guess the 
the frequency of sets, if I could call it that way, right? I love yes, using exercise para- paradigms. It is. Um, yeah, that's a good For neurofeedback, that makes perfect sense to me. And that's actually something we even do at the plasticity centers. And a lot of uh, right. people who use clinical neuroscience will empower their patients to go home and do things frequently when they're trying to change brain plasticity. That makes sense. Right. Can I ask about the dosing for the photobiomodulation? I, I don't know much about that. And I'm sure people are wondering at home when they hear you talk about this. We, we've been studying two different approaches to this. The, the device that was developed in the UK is still not FDA approved, so we only use it in clinical trials and under experimental circumstances. But that device is far more powerful, and so the delivery of the light stimulation is only about five or six minutes. And we do that once or twice a day, depending on someone's condition. And with the uh, V-Light, we tend to work uh, more sequentially in five-minute intervals so that we can help people experience the stimulation without getting overstimulated. And so we know that there's a sweet spot in terms of the dose-response curve of somewhere between five to seven minutes. And what we want to do is work with people so that they can tolerate more and more stimulation at different parts of their head. Uh, but the infrared stimulation with the V-light is occurring with only four diodes on the scalp. So we move the diodes around in a sense to imitate the larger transcranial device that we've been using in the, from the UK. And so we use the V-light in a sense to mimic the cognitolite, which is what they call it. And we do that with patients, having them just use it for five minutes and then stop and notice whether they're feeling dizzy or uh, feeling like a cold coming on, you know, that kind of grapefruit yeah, headed. That's what feeling. I was going to ask you. How do you know yeah. you've done too much? So we usually tell people to look for dizzy, sleepy, agitated, or grapefruit head, uh, where you have that kind of full sinus feeling. So if none of that is happening after five minutes, then you'll do another five minutes. And then you'll stop and wait and notice if you have any of those reactions. And if you don't, then you can go on to 15 minutes or up to 20 minutes. But at 20 minutes, you're pretty much at the optimal level. So you'll do five minutes at one of three positions that we teach people how to use with the V-Lite. And um, that seems to be producing the best outcomes for folks so they don't get overstimulated and they don't get a headache and you know they don't become resistant to doing the treatment because they're never having any kind of real negative effect got it so wow this is very interesting let's talk conditions right so what types of conditions because you've named a few what types Uh, of conditions are you seeing success with with this type of technology like you personally yeah we well just so you understand my perspective on this, mm-hmm. because, because what we're doing and what you're doing in chiropractic neurology, I mean, you're intervening pretty much on disorders mediated by the central nervous system. So if what we're talking about is providing an intervention that is going to substantively improve the overall efficiency of the central nervous system, then kind of doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is 
if it's mediated by the central nervous system and you improve efficiency, what's not going to improve is really, I mean, what's not going to improve is really the point. But our work at this point has been with neuropsychiatric conditions of depression, anxiety, ADHD, traumatic brain injury. Um, and so people with neuro degenerative conditions, certainly dementia or TBI, um, Parkinson's, ALS, those kind of conditions, we've seen people improve with those disorders. Neurodevelopmentally, we've been primarily focused on uh, autistic spectrum disorder, and we certainly have seen people improve using this as part of an overall treatment model for autistic spectrum and other kinds of neurodevelopmental problems. So Got it. our, Jesus. you know, so, it's really, yeah, it's really not, it, 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 well, I made, I made my point. No, I get it. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of patients that could be getting a lot of help with this type of technology. Let's talk research. Well, what is the current okay. state of the, the research for photobiomodulation on the brain? I mean, I know we know it's not a new concept. I mean, you know, for laser therapy in general, it's, I know they've been studying it for a long time. But what about specifically the brain? And I also think you also have some research endeavors as well. You're working with a, a school, university somewhere. Can you tell us about yep. that too? Sure. Well, if you look at uh, PubMed, you'll see about 6,300 citations in the peer-reviewed literature for photobiomodulation and the brain. So. It's a fairly robust and growing body of research. And what we're seeing now is that more and more people are beginning to take it more seriously, especially as we see that photobiomodulation can be helpful in improving immune system functioning. And given what's going on in the country right now with the COVID-19 and other kinds of coronaviruses, we know that improving people's immune systems and helping them to fight off different kinds of infections can be very helpful. And so one of the things we're encouraging people to do is use photobiomodulation as well as good you know, infection management practices to boost their immune systems. But our research now is focusing on the use of uh, 1065 to 1075 nanometer pulsed infrared light that's transcranial using the UK device with people with uh, early to mid-stage dementia. And we're working in partnership with Texas A&M School of Medicine and their affiliate hospital at Baylor Scott and White Hospital in Temple, Texas. And we're working with Professor Jason Wang in the Department of Neurosurgery where he's the chairman and they're doing 60 subjects and we're doing 40 subjects here in Philadelphia at the Elkins Park Laboratory and we're giving these devices to people to take home and they're using them twice a day for about six minutes uh, with about five hours in between and we're having evaluations done when they come in where we do a full battery of neuropsych testing and some activities of daily living testing and some caregiver assessments, but we're also doing a quantitative EEG and we're doing it at baseline, we're doing it at one month and then we're doing it at two months. So people are taking these devices home and using them twice daily for two months 
and then we're seeing how they're doing in terms of their ADLs and their cognitive functioning and their motor functioning, etc. Very so that's cool. what we're doing. That's what we're doing at Texas. We're doing that with a hundred subjects, and we're hoping that once we finish with this and get it published, we can take the baseline information, this this kind of what they call intramural data of pilot study data to the NIH and get them to fund a larger multi-site trial. Right, like get them to recognize that this is helping people with some preliminary evidence and, and right. to investigate uh, further. I mean, uh, a noble cause, right? Like this could change the lives of so many patients. So it's very neat to learn about. Yeah. Well, we're happy to share it with the community and um, would hope that people will let others know about our clinical trials and that we can start getting people to participate because we're doing a similar trial with the V-Lite Alpha and Neuro transcranial intranasal device. Uh, people will be purchasing those devices at a significant discount and we're doing quantitative EEGs before and after two months of using the device according to our direction. And we're hoping to show that this device, which is on the market and is available for purchase, can be helpful to people with a whole range of different conditions. Very neat. You know, the, the V-Lite. So I have, a, I have a large shopping list of things here that I want at the Carrick Institute. And, uh, you know, every month we try to kind of add a piece of technology that we could learn about and see the value for our scholars. That is on the shopping list. So I may be able to do a CITV tech review for our video reviews for something like that in the future. It's a wild looking device. Like if you look at it, you kind of go, what, what is this thing? It literally looks like, a, I don't know, reminds me of a, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from years ago where the, <laughs> where the guy had like this little tracer, um, module in his nose and he had to pull it out every time i look at the v light that's what i think about like arnold schwarzenegger and <laughs> well, that crazy my, movie. my movie association is to uh dr xavier and cerebro oh yeah x-men yep the, the x-men <laughs> well when you name that other device the cognito i go wow this really that's actually what it remind me of uh yep. a magneto and professor xavier exactly. from x-men yep yeah. It's like they combine the name. Somewhere there's a comic book person who named that device. He was like, who's laughing, going, they got it, they got it. But well, hey, Dr. We're, Berman. We're, we're nerding out now. <laughs> hey, Dr. Berman, I really appreciate your time in educating me about photobiomodulation, neurofeedback. Um, I think it was you know very interesting to learn, hopefully inspire other scholars to kind of dig into it and see if they could help their patients with these types of th uh, devices okay. and technology. If people want to learn more, more about you, Dr. Berman, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you? Well, I'm happy to talk with the scholars and anybody, any of their patients. We make technical and basic clinical support available at no cost to people as part of what the foundation does. And for people who are buying the V-Lite technology through us, we get credit from V-Lite for that for our research. But we can uh, be reached at www.quietmindfdn.org. So that's the word quiet and mind. And then the letters F is in Frank, D is in dog, N is in Nancy, dot O-R-G. Our office line is 610-940-0488. And I look forward to hearing from anyone and everyone who's interested in this technology and seeing how we can help. 
Awesome. Dr. Berman, you rock. Thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it. We hope, we hope everybody enjoyed this Talk Neuro to Me podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Take care. enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the contact us page on careinstitute.com.